Hey, welcome back to Crimes and Closets. This is Beth from my closet in North Carolina. Hey, this is Christy in my closet in St. Louis. I said from again, by the way. From North Carolina? This is Beth from my closet in North Carolina. Oh. It is where I come from. (laughs) (laughs) But you are in it. In it, from it. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) At this point. If anybody nitpicks that. Hmm. It's we true. More, we never problems. get this right. Y'all know this about us, so. Yeah. <laughs> we screw up our own beginning all the time. <laughs> Happy Monday. Welcome back I to know. Times and Closets. Yeah. Yeah. I was just talking to some friends of mine actually the other day about how people who listen to our podcast know us so much better than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Isn't that That's interesting true. to think? Like, Because I have friends who will be like, oh, yeah, I didn't know about the dog food phone story where the kid hid your phone in the dog food that's so funny and then other friends are like what are you talking about well clearly you're not in the know because you don't listen to the podcast so get on board hold back some details say them on the podcast so i know whether you're listening (laughs) well you know once you tell the story one time dramatically right like it's over you've told it everyone knows so you told you it to 700 people, and that's all that you need to do. <laughs> so you don't tell it again after that, right? Mm-hmm. So people who listen to the podcast, really, they, they're they in the know. Yeah. So you, you guys know, actually, it's true, because you guys probably do hear more stories than we, like, let out. Yeah. <laughs> in general. So, yeah. Congratulations. Congratulations <laughs> to the listeners. <laughs> so what do you have for me? What's your story of the week? Well... Funny enough, so Beth and I are like, you know, have kind of talked about in the past, like how to get some sponsorships and whatnot. And we just came across a website, thanks to our friends at Crimes and Roses. Mm-hmm. Um, they mentioned it on their episode the other day about this website that can kind of connect you with sponsorships. So anyways, um, blah, blah, blah. We talk about it every now and then. I'm walking with my husband tonight, um, right before we were recording. And we meet up with some neighbors in the driveway and he, you know, start talking about the podcast and how they were talking about somebody else on the radio and how this guy has a podcast and sponsorships and whatever. Anyways, regardless, it came across the conversation of sponsorships again. And they were like, you should just make up that you're sponsored by people. Like <laughs> this episode spot is sponsored by Madison. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and them. <laughs> NakedWines.com. <laughs> Just say it. And then maybe they'll sponsor you if like you tag them or whatever. Like anyway, they were just like joking around and anyway, and, and they work for a financial planning and you know company. And they're like, you know, like our company. Just say you're sponsored by us. And I was like, oh yeah, we do cater to essentially women ages 35 to 50-ish. So maybe we should just be like, Women, if your husband suddenly dies, <laughs> natural causes or not, are you financially stable for that? If not, give blah, blah, blah a call. <laughs> I am so, you're for that. You're for that? <laughs> yes. No, you have to be much louder than that if it's going to be Tito's. <laughs> I'm here for it. Tito's. 
So anyway, I thought that was funny because I was because truly that would would be a funny commercial <laughs> for the <Right>? women that <laughs> listen to us because it's basically women. If you're into true crime, and your mm-hmm. husband disappears randomly. Are you financially paying plan for your future? <laughs> yes. Let's make sure you have that life insurance and there's money set aside. Anybody who takes out a life insurance policy on any of us, I swear, I'm already calling the police. Or two, like that guy from, what is it? The widow guy. What's his name? Wasn't the Dateline guy? Oh, yeah. The widower? The widower. He took out like two policies on every wife he had. Come on. Come on, ladies, wake up. You're going to die. Hilarious arrest. Mm-hmm. Did you guys watch that daylight when they arrested him? Literally pulled him out of his front door in his boxer briefs, like in the snow. He like ragged oh. him out the door with his long blonde hair. Oh my goodness. And that, that in itself is worth, it's just, it's worth the watch. Yes, it's worth the watch. And the police officer who was like, you do know that I was here because you of murder charges, right? <laughs> or like whatever it was. Like it was like gun possession charge. Do you have a gun? You own a gun. Did you expect me to not <laughs> defend myself just in yeah. case you wouldn't show me your hands? Like he was very matter of fact. Like, do you understand the kind of person you are? <laughs> just pulled him on the ground. Mm-hmm. He was weird. That's a great go watch that Dateline, The Widower. Just so that you can this see episode this is sponsored by Dateline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> okay, it's not, but <laughs> no. Mm-hmm. But I do have a story for you. Dateline story? No. Okay. Beth story? Yes. <laughs> this story was actually recommended by several people to me and I oh wow yeah but like people that I know personally and I just kind of put it in my bank it's an older story and it's somewhat I feel like it's very well known in the true crime community so I don't know we tend to shy away from those ones that are really well known but because it was recommended to me by several people I decided I would cover it all right. Well, give it to me. And so now I'm going to tell you. And it has some Georgia Tan feels. Mm, Georgia great. Tan was back in season one. Christy covered that story, which is all kind of crazy. Go look for it. What's the name of the episode? House of Horrors? Yes. So go look for that. It definitely has some House of Horrors feels. Canadian edition. So sweet. Because this story takes place in. So the mounted police are involved? (laughs) Yes. I wish they were more involved. Is it the Royal Mounted Police or whatever it is? The Crown. The Crown? It's the Crown. Mm, It takes place in Nova Scotia. Mm. We have neighbors across the street that are from Nova Scotia. Mm -hmm. That's not how you say it. They say Nova Scotia. (laughs) But I said Nova Scotia. Okay. So like a lot of our stories do, this one starts with a love story. Hmm. This love story stars William and Lila Young. Oh, William and Lila. William and Lila. Lila was born Lila Cooland in 1899. Oh, it's an oldie, huh? It said it was an old one. I'm sorry. In Fox Point, Nova Scotia. 
Her parents were devoted Seventh Day Adventist. Why mm-hmm. he say that? And she grew up in a very religious home. After high school, Lila became a teacher and was studying to be a midwife. Oh. She wanted to help people. Yeah. After high school, she met a 27-year-old man by the name of William Young. And the two fell madly in love. And they got married just months after they met. So also in 1925. William Young was originally from Oregon, but he was living in New Brunswick. And he also, he and his family were also devoted Seventh-day Adventist. And he wanted to be a minister for the Seventh-day Adventist church, but he was actually working as an unordained priest while he was going to medical school. Oh, okay. So he graduated from medical school in 1923, and he kind of made like a mission for himself where he would travel along the coast of Nova Scotia caring for the sick with his medical degree and also spreading the gospel. Hmm. And so he really had this heart for helping people, and he was doing this and doing what he loved when he and Lila met. So at that time, she was also being a teacher and working as a midwife. So the two got married, and they went on to have five children. Oh, wow. I know. Lila worked as a midwife, while William actually worked as a chiropractor. Oh, okay. Did she birth her own children since she was a midwife? I don't know. I mean, clearly she birthed them, but... I 100% (laughs) pretty sure she was there. Um, I don't know. I think you still need a friend. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. It's like 1920-something, so like crazier things have happened. Somebody got a catch on the other end, though. Mm. So in 1927, the couple moved their family to Chicago. Oh, okay. Illinois. And, okay, so back in the day, in like the 20s, 30s, pre-50s, really, chiropractors in the United States were not, like, respected. They were kind of known as quacks. Mm -hmm. They were seen as, like, not real doctors in the medical community, in the U.S. specifically. So they just weren't taken seriously. And their practices were actually seen as possibly harming patients. Mm. because, again, they just weren't seen as real doctors and, like, their practices were really weird and the American Medical Association just did not respect them as being actual physicians. And so some of them were even arrested and charges were filed against them. So the Youngs, whenever they came to the U.S., they didn't, like, really realize that. And so they got here and he's working as a chiropractor and they were like, oh, my gosh, he's going to get possibly arrested. So they were only here for in the U.S. for two months before they moved back to Nova Scotia. So the American dream did not work out for them. Mm-hmm. So they moved back and they bought a nice four-bedroom home on some land in East Chester, Nova Scotia. The two of them were known to be God's people. Mm-hmm. They had a heart to serve others, help the sick, and William had this desire to spread the gospel. And they opened up a medical facility in their home 
called the Life and Health Sanatorium. And it had the slogan, quote, where the sick get well. Oh. So they helped folks with all sorts of ailments. And they also began delivering a lot of babies. Mm -hmm. Remember, Lila is a midwife. So the Youngs began to notice that in their area, there was a huge need for maternity care, particularly for unwed mothers. So at that time, which was back in the 1930s, there was like zero government or community resources or support for women who became pregnant out of wedlock. Okay. So they were shunned from their families. They were shunned from the community. They were really seen as like making super bad choices and nobody had anything for them, right? So they had nowhere to go and the youngs were like, this is wrong. So in 1928, they actually renamed their facility the Ideal Maternity Home and Sanatorium, and they began catering to women who found themselves in this, quote, unfortunate situation. Okay. So Lila would perform deliveries, and William would lead the home in prayer. (laughs) I'm not laughing, but I'm laughing. And would manage you know, the ins and outs of the home. They had brochures, they had flyers, they put out newspaper articles. They promised a safe place for these mothers and their babies with discretion Mm -hmm. and protection of societal judgment. So it kind of became known in the communities surrounding it as like a refuge. Right. Okay. And the home also began offering adoptions for the mothers who were unable to care for their babies. Oh. Okay. They also offered abortions, which at that time was illegal. Mm hmm. So obviously that was not in their brochure. <laughs> right. But it was all be- encompassing this sanatorium. Right. Yeah. So the penalty at that time in Canada for abortions or part- any participation in an abortion whatsoever was life in prison. Oh my god. For yes. Whoever was involved, anybody, it was a doctor, a nurse, nurses, a person anybody. having the baby like okay, wow. Well, yep. Okay. Life in prison. So the home actually began developing a great name in the community for really helping these poor, destitute, sinning women. And the Youngs were well-respected and held in very high regard, especially with the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So they were really seen as, you know, God's people. The home was seen as novel and progressive with loving providers who wanted to help these women who were just in need and had nowhere else to go. But somewhere along the way, as many of our great love stories go... Corruption takes over. Mm-hmm. For one thing, I mean, would this be a crimes and closet story? Like, it wasn't <laughs> yes, exactly. Wrong. Like this is just like, oh yay, they were such a great per- family. The end. Nobel Prize. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks for coming. Mm-hmm. No. So both of the youngs, William and Lila, were both passing themselves some of mm-hmm. themselves off as doctors. They were specifically saying that they were OBGYN specialists, when in reality, 
he was a chiropractor and she was a midwife. But not only that, they were money monsters. Like they really became very money hungry. The Youngs would charge anywhere from $100 to $500 for delivery and recovery. So at that time, in today's money, would be $1,500 to $7,500 to have your baby and recover. The Which average really actually is, is pretty standard, actually. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> for now. Um, the average age of women who would come to the home for birthing assistance was 17 years old. Oh, my word. So, as you can imagine, many of these women, girls, really, they couldn't pay this amount. So, when they couldn't pay the amount, the youngs would blackmail them. They would blackmail the women. They would blackmail the fathers of the babies or the families of the women saying they would go public with their situation, that they would out them and, you know, you have to pay us or we're going to tell everybody. And a lot of these women went there for discretion. Mm -hmm. So being outed for them, for their predicament was terrifying to them. So they were at the mercy of the youngs. Like they were like, what do you, what do you need? What do you want me to do? Please don't tell mm -hmm. anybody. So if the mothers couldn't come up with the money, the youngs would make them stay on and work at the home until they paid off their debt. So oh. some of the women actually had to stay for years. Oh, oh my word. Could and work for free to pay off their debt for having the baby. So in and, a, I'm sorry, the, if they kept the baby, did that happen? Oh, well, I'll get to that. Okay. I was going to say, like, did the baby stay too? Like, I don't <laughs> In some situations, yes. Okay. So in addition to the delivery and recovery fee, the Youngs would also charge like this crazy amount for like diapers. They would charge like $12 a diaper. They would oh, charge wow. for baby products, bottles, like a la carte. Whatever you use, you have to pay for. They would also charge like $2 for babysitting the babies. So while you were recovering, every day that you were recovering, they would charge you $2 for them to keep the baby in the nursery so that you could recover. Your bill racked up. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, it was definitely an expensive thing. So we all know that back in the day, childbirth was really dangerous. I mean, it just was, right? Mm -hmm. So these births were, they were taking place with no physician supervision. And on top of that, Lila was known to be really rough and like harsh with deliveries. So like she would just be like, get the baby out as quickly as possible. I have other things to do. Yeah. So as you can imagine, a lot of babies died. And when that happened, the Youngs would charge the mothers $25 to bury their babies. Oh, my. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the home would actually receive these big crates or boxes of like produce and dairy products from the local creamery, which was like milk, cheese, butter, and they were wooden, small wooden crates that they called mm. butter boxes. So when the babies would pass away, 
they would put the babies in these small wooden butter boxes for burial and would charge the mothers $25 to bury their babies. Oh, my word. And that is why they're known the, as the Butterbox Babies. And the babies were buried in, like, on a piece of land that was owned by Lila's family in Fox Point, Nova Scotia. Now, oh, if, the, if the mothers could not pay the $25 to have their babies buried, they would cremate the babies or they would give the babies to local fishermen and they would be thrown in the ocean. Stop. I don't know why these fishermen didn't say nothing. And okay. And also, how did they cremate them? They had like a infirmary of some sort or were like friends with people who had something that could cremate. Okay. So yeah, it was like animals. legitimate. Not like they just set fire to a pile of babies. I don't think so. I don't think they had one on site, but I, they must have known somebody. Right, right. Okay. Would, okay. Okay. So if the mothers felt that they were unable to care for or raise their babies, the youngs worked out a deal with them. The mothers could pay the youngs $300 and the youngs would agree to find an adoptive family for the babies. Okay. So the mothers would pay to have their babies adopted. Right. That, yeah. Okay. That very unusual. And what the real world is. Okay. Right. So this became a very popular service. And some women would even have their babies somewhere else and then bring them to the home for the youngs to find an adoptive family for them and would pay them the $300 to do that. If you changed your mind, and decided that you did not want to have your babies adopted, the young would ch the youngs would charge you upwards of ten thousand dollars. This is nineteen thirties money, ten thousand dollars. That's insane, right? So nothing you could afford. Basically, you could not change your mind. The youngs would charge between one thousand and ten thousand dollars for adoptions. So that's nineteen thirties money. Now this could cap out around a hundred and eighty thousand oh dollars to word. adopt a baby at their facility. So they very quickly figured out that their money maker was in adoptions. Mm -hmm. Some of these adoptions were illegal. For folks that did not want to wait for the appropriate paperwork to come in or for the, the time frame that had to happen, some of these adoptions were actually people who would come from the U.S. because the restrictions were much higher in the U.S. And so they would come from America to Canada to get a baby because they could do it quicker at mm -hmm. the ideal maternity so they were smuggling babies to the U.S. Oh, my goodness. The ideal maternity home grew to be huge. It had, at the end of its reign, 54 bedrooms, 14 bathrooms, and multiple nurseries. And it was said that at any time they had between 75 and 100 babies available for adoption. Whoa. It's estimated that the home profited around $3.5 million in adoptions alone, which is around $70 million today. 
And most of the people working there were mothers who were unable to pay for their services that they had at the maternity home. And so they were working off their debt and were free labor. (laughs) So it was reported that they had like 70 servants, essentially, at any time. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They were bringing it in. So because these adoptions were not regulated or legal, the youngs could do whatever they wanted. So they would make up backgrounds for the babies. If you came in and you said, I want a Jewish baby, they would be like, hmm, cool, this baby's Jewish. Here you go. Or if they came in and said that they wanted twins, they would take two random babies and be like, here you go. These two are twins. Cool. I mean, this sounds like exactly Georgia Tan. Tan. (laughs) Exactly. Which, by the way, was in the same time frame. Like, it really was like 1924 to 19, whatever, like 50 or whatever it was. This is what happens when you don't have regulations, people. Mm -hmm. So, there were no background checks done. There was no follow up done with any of these adoptive families. The well being of the children was never considered. If you had the money, you got a baby. Thanks for coming. Mm-hmm. Hope you enjoyed your stay. So there's one story of a woman named Violet. Violet had her baby at the ideal maternity home, and her baby was Breach. She was born Breach, so that's feet first. Mm-hmm. So that's a very difficult delivery to do. And actually, nowadays, if you were to have a baby who they expected to be Breach, they would ha- you would have a C-section. They would mm-hmm. not let you deliver the baby naturally. But both Violet and her baby survived, and they were doing okay. So Lila would bring her baby, bring Violet's baby in, and let her nurse the baby. And then she would take her back to the nursery while Violet recovered from childbirth. Um, a couple days after the baby was born, Lila told Violet that her baby was really ill and that she may not make it. And... Violet was very confused by this because she was like, I just nursed my baby. She seems perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with her. But a couple hours later, Lila comes back in and told her that her baby passed away. Mm. So Violet's absolutely distraught. She's very confused. And she had just seen her baby and her baby seemed perfectly fine. So she was just so distraught that her baby had passed away all of a sudden. But then she heard a rumor that a wealthy couple had come in and they were in search of a baby girl. And Violet knew that at that time, her baby was the only girl in the nursery. Mm. So sadly, she believed that her baby was alive and that her baby had been stolen from her and sold. Oh, my word. But she had no proof of this. And because she had come to the home in secret, she had no support and nobody to reach out to. So she just left the home with no baby. Jeez, poor Violet. Exactly. In addition to all of this horror, the youngs would only keep marketable babies. Oh, which means healthy? Babies that could be easily adopted out, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they believed. They advertised their home as, quote, lovely babies for adoption, excellent background, and healthy bodies. So any babies that were born with birth defects, birthmarks, were just not cute babies, mixed race babies, or flaws of any kind were not considered adoptable. 
Those babies would be fed only molasses and water, which sadly caused them to starve to death. Oh, my. Oh, molasses and water. Oh. Oh. And mm, I'm sorry. Mm. That's all I have to say about that. Mm, mm. So the bigger the home became, the worse the conditions became, as you can imagine. There were multiple babies that were kept in one crib. They were not changed or fed for long periods of time, in addition to not receiving proper medical care by actual pediatricians after they were born. So they mm-hmm. were just really re- living in horrendous conditions. Some people were aware of the situation that were going on at the ideal maternity home, but there were quite a few local government officials that had used the services of the home in delicate situations either to hide pregnancies or for illegal adoptions or abortions. So the youngs had essentially creative protection around themselves. So anybody who would come crawl in, they were like, hold on a minute. Let me call my friend. Let me remind him when the last time we saw him was. And nobody would, would say anything. So the Youngs were required at one point to hire a registered nurse to work at the home, and they did do that. But the nurse wasn't required to live at the home, so she wasn't there all the time, and she just didn't see everything. I mean, it's one nurse. It's a big home. Who knows how much she missed or who knows how much the Youngs were paying her to stay quiet. Right. Well, that's true. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, and they also had like sporadic inspections done, which were probably tipped off before they were going to happen. So not so sporadic. Mm -hmm. So we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, trigger warning is advised. Oh, no. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, and thanks for checking out Drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm Cassidy. And I'm Amanda. And this is a podcast dedicated to the mysterious. Are you into conspiracy theories? True crime? Aliens? The paranormal? If so, you might be interested in our podcast, Drinking the Kool-Aid. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Just remember to keep your front door locked, your mind open, and and keep keep drinking drinking the Kool-Aid. Okay. In early 1936, a young lady by the name of Eva Neeforth came to the home very pregnant. She and her boyfriend, Walter, were not married, and she had gotten pregnant out of wedlock, and she decided to come to the home to have her baby in secret. Eva had a very hard delivery, and after she gave birth, she and her baby were both in just bad conditions. They were not doing well. So within a few days after the baby was born, the baby died. Mm. Eva also was very sick. So the Youngs called Eva's boyfriend, 
Walter, who was the father of the baby. Walter came out to the home and he was informed that his baby had passed away and the youngs charged him the $25 for the burial of the baby in the butter box. Oh my gosh. Walter then asked if he could see Eva. And once he saw her, he began like questioning William and Lila, like what she's super sick. You guys aren't doing anything for her. It doesn't look like she's getting any medicine. She needs antibiotics. And William and Lila were super offended by this. And they were like, look, we're doctors. We got this. Visiting hours are over. You need to go. So they sent Walter away. A couple days after that, Eva also passed away. (sighs) Now, Eva's family and Walter were not quiet about this. They Mm. threw their reputation to the wind. Walter was like, look, something went down here. I don't care what you people think of me. I'm going to talk about this. So they went to city officials and police, and the Youngs were actually charged with the manslaughter of the death of Eva and her baby. Oh, wow. Autopsies were done on both Eva and her baby. Oh, so they had the baby's body. Because I was wondering, did they just say they she was... dug the baby's body up. Okay. They actually excavated the baby's body and did autopsies. So, trigger. Mm, oh, no. Okay. Eva's autopsy showed that Eva died of an infection. The infection was caused by the use of unsterile obstetric instruments and began in her uterus and then traveled and that she actually had multiple abscesses that burst and were internal and the infection got into her bloodstream. Oh my. So this was a very slow and painful death for Eva. Mm -hmm. Eva's baby was showed to have fractures to the occipital bone, which is the bone at the base of the skull where the spinal cord passes through. And this was caused by the forceful use of forceps during delivery. Oh, my word. So they crushed the baby's head. And this goes to her, um, Lila's... Um, tough delivery methods. Exactly. Get the baby out Ugh, gross. no matter what. The Youngs denied any of these allegations and were somehow convincing or connected enough to be acquitted. Shut up. This, how else do you explain these deaths? Right. Exactly. I mean, like you're going to only people there. Forceps. Yeah. Crushed this mean, baby's head. Who else used them? Exactly. The nurse. So they went on business as usual. I just feel like they were paying people off and blackmailing people like left and right. Right. Yeah. So they were ordered to no longer promote their adoption services, but they did anyway. And people oh, kept slap coming. on the wrist here. You can't promote that. Yeah. I mean, they were acquitted. So, you know, they were found not guilty. Um, people kept coming to the home because they had nowhere else to go. I mean, this was the only place around town that 
offered these services and there were still women who were coming up pregnant that were shunned by society and had absolutely nowhere else to go. So the home kept expanding. In 1945, new public health officials came into power and they took great interest in what was going on at the ideal maternity home. So they began developing, the home actually began developing a reputation after all of these lawsuits and court battles and whatever as being black market baby traders, which yes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's what you freaking are. And at that time, the infant mortality rate in Nova Scotia was 3.1%. But the infant mortality rate, mortality rate at the ideal maternity home was 8.1%. Lord have mercy. So it was almost three times higher. So health inspectors went to the home and they found that it was filthy. There was like rats and cockroaches and just terrible conditions. 50% of the babies that were there were found to be underweight So health inspectors actually put in new regulations into place that caused the youngs to lose their business license. So their license to conduct business Mm -hmm. was revoked. But they just kept on doing their thing, kept on going, like, whatever, it's fine. So they were then convicted of conducting business without a license. Yay, right? Mm -hmm. Except they were charged a fine of $150. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So chump change. Sounds appropriate. They were like, let me clean out like the change in my cup holder here real quick. Yeah. Let me get the cushions. Go in the seat cushions. Exactly. Then in 1946, they were charged and convicted of selling babies to four American couples illegally. Whoa. So that's good, right? Except they were just fined just under $500. Wait, <laughs> convicted, four mm-hmm. different babies, four different babies, and just let me just find you, pay us, pay us some money, and you're you can go home. Bye, cool, cool, Canada. Bye, bye, come on now. So the youngs, if you can believe it, were irate about all of the scrutiny and bad press that they were getting as a result of their fines and charges and convictions. <sighs> And they still said they were doing God's work. They always are. (laughs) So they decided to file a lawsuit for $25,000 against local newspapers for slander. Why don't they just, like, cut their losses? Is that the right term? Like, okay, you've got these fines. I know you're pissed. You don't have a right to be pissed because you are doing all this wrong. So you're going to freaking bring a lawsuit like <laughs> for people telling the truth about you? Exactly. But this lawsuit backfired on them because it really opened the floodgates. Yeah. Everyone started digging into their home because exactly. of this lawsuit. All of these newspapers, all of these journalists, all of these investigators, law enforcement, everything. And they actually held a trial. And at the trial, they had testimony of women, mothers, who had given birth at the Adil maternity home and told the real, real mm-hmm. of what exactly was going on. They actually even ended up excavating some of the baby's bodies to do autopsies on them to see if they could determine causes of death, 
Like it ballooned out of control. Wow. Now, they weren't able to determine any causes of death from the babies, unfortunately. I mean, I think most of these babies were, were like, because of starvation. Like we said, I mean, they, you know, didn't keep all of their babies. And so I think a lot of them were just due to, like, they were born. They didn't receive proper medical care from the very beginning. And so they kind of passed away, which what may look like natural causes. You know, they right. weren't strangled or murdered or stabbed or, you know, things like that. So crushed very, with forceps. Well, there were. <laughs> well, but a lot of them they weren't able to determine. So they couldn't actually charge the youngs with murder or manslaughter or any of that kind of stuff. But they were exposed for what they had been doing at the home. And in 1947, the Youngs were forced to shut down the home. They were never convicted of any other crimes. And they filed bankruptcy and moved to Quebec. Oh, okay. In 1962, the ideal maternity home, the building that it was housed in, caught fire and burnt to the ground. That same year, William Young died of cancer. And then in 1967, five years later, Lila Young died of leukemia. She was actually buried on her family land in Fox Point, right next to where the Butterbox babies were buried. Oh, my word. Is that is that a coincidence that Georgia Tan also died of cancer? I know, right? <laughs> No, I don't think it is. It will eat you from the inside. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it is estimated that between 800 and 1,500 babies were born at the ideal maternity home. And between 400 and 600 of them died. Oh, my gosh. It's like over. It's like an insane amount. Yeah. Like everyone, literally. So that's not counting the mothers who passed away due to lack of proper proper medical care at the facility. And the Youngs became millionaires, moved away, and got off scot-free. Oh, man. Uh, okay. So there are still survivors of the ideal maternity home that were adopted by other families and have now come to the understanding of the situation in which they were adopted mm-hmm. through and some of them are actually still searching for their birth parents. To date, there have been almost 100 survivors that have been been reconnected with their birth parents. They have support groups, there's a website, they meet regularly when sh- they can. I'll link the website in the show notes. I highly recommend if you're interested in this case going and looking at the website because they actually show a lot of the stories of the people who have come forward, mm. like Violet's yeah. story, Eva's story is on there, um, and a lot of the the kids that were born there that have now become reconnected with their families or are still searching, their entire life stories are on this website. So it's a big, long read, so sit down with a drink and do it, but it's really interesting. Um, I just think this case is so interesting because I do feel like that the two of them, Lila and William, started out like kind of altruistic. You know what I mean? Like they were like, 
we're, we want to spread the gospel. We want to help the sick. We want to help the needy. We feel like there's a need here in these poor unwed women. They have no support. We want to do this for him. And it really shows how like money just corrupts. Mm -hmm. It just corrupts. And I don't know. And the other thing too, which is not talked about at all. And I looked and looked, they had five kids. Right, yeah. Where are those Where kids? were they? Yeah, like did they grow up witnessing all this stuff? Yeah. Just I like mean, in the home? I don't even know. Exactly. Gosh. Oof. Oh my gosh. That's in that, mm. that is, is that the it? Story of the Butterbox. Like, is that all you got? <laughs> That's all I got. Is there more? No. <laughs> Cuz gosh, first of all, have you heard of this believe- case? I had not heard of that case, but I cannot believe the similarities between that and the Georgia Tan case. Like, it's like the same thing. I mean, they had a lot more deaths, I think. Yeah. Like a lot more babies going through there. Well, documented Um, deaths, I think. We don't really know, you know? Well, that's true. So many of them were unreported in both cases. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. And the same time frame. It's like... They were like twins separated at birth. Yeah, I said Georgia Tan <laughs> Canadian edition. Yeah. Gosh. Oh, man. Well, I mean, thankfully there's laws in place now <laughs> to regulate all this crap and I know. Oh, and hopefully women out there don't feel the need to go to some sketchy place to I know. That's what broke my it. heart the most is to think about like if you were to go through a like I just think about now like I have a daughter And if she were, you know, to have a baby, I can't imagine her feeling so alone. Right. So where she would like literally put her health and her baby's health and well-being in jeopardy to survive. Yeah. You know, like that having to be her choice is just heartbreaking to think Mm -hmm. about. Like I can't. Yeah. Yeah, same. I hope they're burning in hell. No, they for sure are. Yeah. Ugh, gross. Lila and William. William? Is that what it right? Yeah. Oh, Willie. For some reason, I only remembered her name. Lila stuck out in my head. <laughs> the pretty name, right? It makes you think it like, yeah, she definitely is a God-fearing woman. Yeah. Gosh. Okay. Wow. Well, they're definitely burning in hell in my mind. So, Ooh, well, thank you for that awful story before I go to sleep tonight. <laughs> 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 terrible, terrible, terrible. You know, oh. I'll never eat cheese the same way again. Or butter. <laughs> <laughs> butter. It's, oh, man. Ugh. Butter box babies. Gosh. I know. Like I'll post a picture episode. of these little butter boxes, too. They were like a legit thing. And they're like these teeny tiny little. Oh, it's so sad. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. Well, well. I look forward to seeing those pictures. <laughs> um, and did you say this was suggested? Was this? A- yeah, there's been a couple people who have suggested this to me, like my sister okay. and a neighbor. Yeah, but like, okay. just look, and it's been a long time, and I've kind of just had it in the. It's a big story. Okay, which is right. just mega depressing. So I've kept it in my bank. But yeah, right. for anybody who suggested it, there were several of you. Right. Thank okay. you. All right. Well, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for the suggestion. Thanks for doing the story, Beth, and bringing it to us because you said it was out there. 
I had never heard that. I listened to quite a few true crime things. Yeah. I haven't heard that one. Wow. So. I'm surprised. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I just stay away from Canada. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Canada kind of piss me off in general with their laws because people like get out of jail easily there. It's true. Fund $550 yeah. for selling babies. Yeah. So anyway, so thanks. Thanks for doing that story. Um, and as always, find us on social media. Uh, you know, we have a Linktree account uh, or link in our bio on Instagram that you can find everything you need. All of our social, all of our where we're found um, for podcast listening, everything, um, merch, all that stuff. And also, um, we mentioned this last time and we played our first listener tagline. And we're going to play another one here in a minute. But please send them in because, yes, we've only gotten two so far, but both of them were fun to get just, you know, because it was fun to hear somebody else say our tagline Um, and just like, oh, hey, they listened to us and they actually like wanted to like participate and be played on the podcast. So (laughs) it was funny. Anyways, um, and so send them in. Email them to us, like record little Diddy on your phone and just send it in an email. Um, how did last week Joni sent it to us on Facebook, right? Messenger, yeah. I think. You can leave a voicemail on Anchor. Yep. Leave a voicemail on Anchor, which is what the next person did. Um, anyway, anyhow you can get it to us, we will figure out how to download it and get it on the episode. So don't you worry. Just, just record yourself saying our tagline and send it to us. And I'm going to play the next one before I say it, because this seriously made my week, this particular one. Diane sent this to us. And Diane, you are fantastic. And I don't want you to be insulted by anything that I say, but your recording of our tagline may go down as the best version ever. And I'm going to play the entire thing right now for everybody. So check it out. Okay, take three. Remember, the world is a scary place. Is that right? Is it? Okay. The world is a scary place. People suck and hide in your closet. I hope you can see why we love this version of it. Is it? Is it? Is that it? It's <laughs> my favorite part of the whole thing. <laughs> anyway, we love it. We love getting these taglines, so please keep sending them to us. And always remember, the world is scary. People suck. Hide in your closets.